What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. In this episode, we sit down with Justin Hunter, founder of Graphite. Built on Blockstack, Graphite is an open source, decentralized, and encrypted replacement for Google G Suite and Microsoft Office. We explore Justin's interesting path to blockchain, what problems Graphite is solving, why he chose to build Graphite on Blockstack, and much more. Thank you so much, Justin, for joining us to kick things off. We love to get a little bit of an intro from you and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I guess the quick intro is I'm the founder of Graphite, which is sort of a decentralized and encrypted alternative to Google's G Suite. It's built uh, using Blockstack's open source software um, and is live out there now. And Graphite is also 100% open source. That's fantastic. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have somebody on who has a real functional product out there. Uh, which, as I'm sure you know, is atypical in the space. Yes. Yeah. Or if it's functional, it's uh, not something that people actually want to use. <laughs> exactly. We would love to hear a little bit about your path to crypto. How'd you fall down the rabbit hole? Uh, it was a strange path, as I kind of assume everybody's path is. Um, I was learning JavaScript, building a 100% centralized app, you know, a traditional cloud-based app. And at some point, the uh, the guy I was building it with had seen Blockstack, thought it would be really cool to include Blockstack authentication in our centralized app. So we started looking at it and I said, nope, that's way too hard. So I didn't do that, but um, I continued following Blockstack, watching what they were building around the time that we wrapped up building this little uh, centralized app, Blockstack announced their first uh, bounty, which was a... Uh, token portfolio bounty. And that really got me into the, you know, the whole crypto space because I dove into learning about Blockstack, reading the white paper, uh, learning more. I mean, I already had Bitcoin. I had some, uh, some Ethereum, some altcoins, but I really started digging into the uh, crypto space as a whole. As soon as that bounty came to be, joined the bounty, started building the product. And uh, that, uh, that really got my feet wet for building decentralized apps. And, um, you know, that's, that's the short version of how I got here. Happy to give you the long version as well, but just as the introductory uh, introduction to, um, how I got into crypto, that's how it came to be. Well, and I'm, I'm curious, Justin, you said, um, you were into crypto and blockchain, you were already there. So what got you into the space initially, even before getting involved with Blockstack? Yeah, that's just being around uh, the people that I work with in my day job, right? So I, I work at a software company and um, just about everybody here is into the crypto space. And uh, on top of that, the founders of the company that I work for spun off another company that is blockchain-based. It's a uh, digital credential issuing service where you can issue um, you know, school records, uh, government IDs, anything to any blockchain and that's that's really how uh, I got introduced in the first place to blockchain technology in the crypto space. If we can go back to the the Blockstack uh, sort of pivot there, you said you you weren't doing Blockstack initially. You looked at it, um, and it wasn't 
or it was too complicated. Um, I want to go back to kind of the original app that you were working on before you even started thinking about blockchain. What uh, what inspired that? What was the problem that you were you were looking to solve, or you're still looking to solve? Uh, that app was more of a uh, desperate attempt to do something else. All right, so you know, I've got my day job. I like having hobbies, like learning. Um, but I was really trying to push myself to learn software development, development and learn JavaScript specifically and just doing normal tutorials was not working for me. So me and a buddy thought it would be cool to build a crypto portfolio app. Um, so this, and, and the funny thing is this is before crypto portfolio apps were really, uh, ubiquitous all over the place. So we thought, hey, this could actually be a business. Maybe people would pay money for this. So we started building it. And of course, by the time we launched it, there were about 9 million portfolio apps uh, on the market specifically for tokens. Um, so, I mean, if you're looking for a problem I was trying to solve, it was just my own problem of learning software development. Um, the app itself, in theory, could have solved the problem of managing all of your crypto assets, except for everybody else solved that before me. And so was it just a matter of you, you started building it and then realized, oh, this is this problem is being solved and I should look elsewhere or what? It was, yeah, I mean, we finished the project. We got a, a working app out. It, in fact, it's still out there. It's what I use to track my assets. Um, What's but the app called? A, it's called Coinicle. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it hasn't had any work done on it since its initial release. So it's it's not being maintained. But uh, yeah, by the time it was released, there were so many apps that were like it on the market and were free. It was clear that this was not a business model. Um, at the same time, it also wasn't interesting to me. This was, this was an app that scratched my itch for learning software development. It was an app that could have solved some you know, minor problems for me personally in tracking uh, crypto assets. But building it and using it, it's not exciting to me. It doesn't solve things on a day-to-day -day basis like Graphite does. Um, so you know, once I was done with that, like I said, I jumped into the, the Blockstack bounty because it was literally asking for the same app we'd already built, just in a decentralized form. Um, but, but still, I wasn't totally excited about that type of app. And so tell us a little bit how you got from that to Graphite. Yeah. Um, so I finished up the token portfolio bounty with Blockstack. And yeah, during, uh, during the build of that, I got to really dig into the APIs that Blockstack offers, the uh, development tools, and the community. And I fell in love with it. And the funny thing is when, it was, uh, when that bounty was over, uh, there was a developer feedback session. And the Blockstack folks asked, they asked every developer, you know, if, if it weren't for bounties, would you still build decentralized apps on Blockstack or decentralized apps in general? Now I raised my hand and I said, hey, you know what? I really love this. I think it would be awesome to uh, have sort of like a Google Docs type app be 100% decentralized. And, and the reason for that is, you know, outside of my day job, outside of software development, I'm a writer. I got my MFA in creative writing. I do fiction, nonfiction. I had a ton of writing. So I thought it would be awesome to have a decentralized word processing app. Um, and uh, so they, you know, said, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Kind of, you know, blew me off because everybody says they want to build something and they don't. Um, so I built it and I built it for myself showed it to a couple of people at Blockstack and they were really impressed and really encouraged me to keep building it. Was there a particular aspect of, uh, I, I guess, 
doing something that was similar to Google Docs on blockchain that was you know interesting to you, or I guess what pain point were you solving for by mixing those two things up? Because it feels like you know text editors that's kind of a solved problem. There's there's lots of choices. So what drew you to doing this on blockchain that might be different or special? Sure. Around the same time that I had decided to do this, Google had just shut down the accounts for a few journalists um, and more broadly, a bunch of just random users by mistake. The journalists uh, shutdown was by mistake also, just searching for incorrect terms, things like that, that violate uh, Google's terms of use without knowing that you're violating them. Um, But the simple fact that Google could lock somebody out of what could be their life's work that really, really bothered me. Um, and I didn't want to go back to Microsoft Word. The whole reason that I ever started using Google Docs is I wanted something that I could use on any device that would sync across those devices and that was web-based. Um, you know, while, while we're seeing a sort of a new tide in desktop apps, uh, I still very much prefer web-based apps. So oh, with you, hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> I, so, uh, I, have, I have people yeah. that still send me Excel files, and I'm like, please uh, yeah, put it, this into a Google Sheet. Do something with it. Yep, drives me crazy, and that's yeah. that's sort of the thing that for myself I was trying to solve with Graphite is I wanted to just take literally all of the hundreds and hundreds of documents I had on Google, move them over to my own thing, and know that not only could nobody ever shut me out. Um, if somebody else wanted to use this, I couldn't shut them out. I couldn't see their data, stop them from typing something, stop them from sharing something. That was really attractive to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I did have a quick question around timing just to help listeners understand a bit of the context. So uh, I, I happen to know that you started uh, learning how to write code not too long ago. So maybe take us through the timeline of when you first started that endeavor, how long you took to build Coinicle and then Graphite to now. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll give you a little bit more context because as soon as I tell people how long I've I've been developing software, they immediately question the validity of the software, right? <laughs> um, so I, uh, I've been into uh, technology and software development just as a concept for a long time, right? My first HTML class was in, in junior high and I fell in love there. I rebuilt uh, Yahoo back when it was a directory and not a search engine into Justin exclamation point. And that really... Uh, that really got me going, but I never got into the actual software development. Every time I'd start, I would just get bored with uh, you know the, the tutorials or online courses. What I actually needed was something tangible, and building Coinicle did that for me. So to give you the exact timeline, I started uh, building Coinicle last summer, maybe end of spring, very beginning of summer. Took a few months to build that. It's not a very complicated uh, application. And then immediately transitioned. So I never stopped, right? So I immediately transitioned into building the decentralized version of that and really started in earnest uh, work on Graphite at the end of November, beginning of December. What were some of the biggest, uh, I guess, hurdles for you along that path? It was uh, switching to Blockstack. While it is much easier to develop apps just simply because they're serverless apps, Um, There was a hurdle in that because I had just learned how to build a full stack application, right? You know, front end, back end, setting up a node server and a database and all of that. Coming over to Blockstack, 
trying to wrap my head around the the whole concept of serverless apps took me longer than it should have right um you know somebody with experience i'm sure would have just jumped in and, and had it under control but that was a uh, total shift for a newbie like me that had just learned that hey here's how a server works here's how a database works and here's how you display that all to to the end user um, but once i got over that hurdle using uh the tools that blockstack has made available it's just so much easier and not having to deal with a database or deal with a server is actually, you know, a thousand times easier. Yeah. I think that's actually been a, a, a real revelation for people that are approaching development for the first time. Um, in some ways it's gotten a lot more complex, but in others it's taken away a lot of the different layers that you had to go through to learn how to develop an app. Um, yeah, for sure. So what's, uh, what I've just to piggyback on that, what I've found to be more complex and what is now the challenge that I think most developers should want to take on is uh, with at least within the decentralized world, you're solving problems and, and running into challenges of how do I make this happen without knowing what uh, you know what content somebody has already stored and what um, you know. Let's say let's take Graphite for example. One of the big challenges there is figuring out sharing. I personally, as the developer, I have no idea who is in anybody's contact book. I don't know who you're trying to share with. So you have to write code without having any access to a central database to be able to just, you know, match records and, and pull data and make sure it's going to the right place. So it's uh, it's different challenges, but to me, it's more interesting challenges because I don't think and a developer or a company should be able to see any of that data. I'm curious, the, you know, you, you talked about Blockstack being uh, really interesting to you because of the community and the tools that they built, but... Uh, did you ever consider just building Graphite as an open source uh, piece of software as opposed to open source and decentralized on Blockstack? Uh, and you know, just walk us through a little bit of your rationale for choosing Blockstack over potentially Ethereum or, or other blockchains as well. Yeah, uh, to to answer that, I could open up my uh, open up Finder here on my Mac and show you a repository of the centralized version of Graphite that I was building alongside the Blockstack version. Because my my whole plan there was, if I can't figure out this Blockstack thing, I'm still building an app for myself. It may not be decentralized. It may be something that nobody ever can use, but that's fine because I was building it for myself. But luckily, um, you know, as I was kind of building both apps in parallel, it just became so much easier and, and so much clearer to me that it should be decentralized and that it should be built on Blockstack. Now that leads into the second part of your question, which is, you know, why Blockstack versus Ethereum, which is the, you know, the protocol that you think of for decentralized apps initially. And the reason for that is that I think that Blockstack is approaching decentralized apps in the way that they should be approached. Um, you know, storing all of your data on a blockchain doesn't make sense to me. A, I'm not convinced that there will ever be a time that the transaction speed for, for blockchain transactions will ever be high enough um, that you can have the same convenience and speed that we see in cloud computing today. And two, if if you're limiting yourself and all of your data to a single blockchain, that's still, while decentralized in nature, it's still a single point of failure. And I'll give you an example that just happened uh, recently with the, the Verge blockchain, right? If you guys haven't read up on this, I'm sure you have, but uh, the Verge blockchain was actually hacked, right? A miner was able to take 
control of more than 51% of, uh, of the network. That's not supposed to be possible. Um, but as much as we want to say that blockchain technology is unhackable, it's not entirely true. It's very unlikely that it could be hacked. And Verge, Verge's blockchain just had a lot of flaws, right? That's not the same as Ethereum or Bitcoin um, you know, and others out there. But the point remains, it's still a central single point of failure. So if you, uh, if you take that out of the equation, the way that you make things decentralized is you allow somebody to have self-sovereign identity as their authentication protocol, right? So they're, they are using the, the blockchain to write their identity information and help point to where storage is going to be located. But then you, you abstract storage away from the blockchain and you allow for encryption to happen client side and you let users choose where they're storing their data, and then those users also replicate their data. So you're still still getting that uh, total decentralization without the single uh, point of failure of a single blockchain being where all of your data is stored. And that's that's what Blockstack got right, and that's that's why I, I have totally bought in to what they're building, and uh, am very proud to have them powering uh, the what what is the equivalent of the backend for Blockstack. Yeah, it's. I also think the approach they're taking with the sort of blockchain virtualization, which for listeners is essentially right now, Blockstack is tied to the Bitcoin blockchain, but they know that any blockchain can become obsolete over time. And so the idea behind virtualization is to allow for portability across blockchains. So I, you know, I think to that point too, like they're planning for, the potential demise of Bitcoin blockchain and and building some uh, some rails in place to prevent. And, and to that point, there's uh, there's already proof of this being possible. Blockstack started on uh, what was it, Namecoin, um, and they yeah. did migrate to Bitcoin. So they've already proven that their infrastructure can be migrated to any blockchain and still continue working without interruption. One thing that we in the product and UX world are, are always thinking about is validating assumptions. And it would be great to hear a little bit from you about uh, how you think about your target audience, market size, uh, business model, and all of that um, to the extent that you have sort of mapped that out already. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question, and it has a completely different answer now than if you had asked me this six months ago. Six months ago, my my assumption would have been, hey, nobody wants to use this besides me, and I would have validated that assumption by me just using it. Um, but <laughs> as I uh, as I got, like I told you, I, sh- I showed this to some of the folks at Blockstack, and they were really impressed, and they're really who um, you know pushed for me to continue building this. And I got it out to the community. The community really latched on. And then um, Blockstack had their big event in Berlin in March. And that's really where it took off. That's where you know, I started getting um, press around, around Graphite. I started uh, getting you know, a huge spike in inquiries for people not only wanting to use Graphite just for personal use, but for businesses. And you know, in the back of my head, by the time I had gotten to that Berlin event in in March, I had I thought that there were going to be enterprise use cases for Graphite, right? Because you know Google's already shown that model for you know for for um, what do they call it now G Suite um, for business. 
there's also examples of you know free products, content management products, things like that that have that layer of enterprise functionality. With Graphite, it could be different, at least in my mind, right? So this is where the business side of things started to form. Um, it was very clear to me that this was a good tool for journalists. Um, in fact, uh, when we're talking about validating assumptions, once I started having that assumption uh, for the journalism component of Graphite, started reaching out to journalists. I talked to uh, people at Vice, people at the New York Times, uh, Ars Technica, just a bunch of journalists, not to pitch them the product and have them write about the product, but just to learn about what their day-to-day -day is, especially those people that are um, acting as, as foreign correspondents, war correspondents, uh, you know, people that are in dangerous areas reporting on dangerous topics. And what, uh, what I learned is they just use the technology that we use now, right? So there's very little encryption involved. There's everything just sent right over the wire available for anybody else to take a peek at. Uh, protecting sources is a difficult thing as well because it's not easy for a source to send encrypted information for you. You see a lot more now where somebody's given their, you know, their PGP thumbprint or um, you know, a number of other encryption methods where you have to jump through 65 hoops just to be able to send a, a file to somebody. Uh, so in speaking with these journalists and newsrooms, it really solidified uh, my belief that Graphite could help solve some of those problems for journalism. But outside of that, there's other verticals as well that, that I thought could benefit from graphite. So I mentioned schools. And so I started speaking with uh, consultants that work with K through 12, university, uh, private schools, homeschools, and just talking about the way that um, learning is approached now versus how it was approached 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and the way that we can continue changing that uh, with project-based learning and with some of the concepts that Montessori schools really started introducing um, and extending that. Um, so started talking with those consultants and really got some great feedback. And then, uh, you know, the, the probably easiest vertical for at least easiest from the perspective of, of framing how this would, would be effective is the businesses, right? So not asking employees to encrypt data or replicate data, just not having to worry about that. Having your employees just send their data, however they need to send it. That was a uh, really attractive use case that I thought businesses would enjoy. And after Berlin, uh, that's where the, the vast majority of you know, the sales inquiries that I received came from. Small businesses, medium-sized businesses, you know, medical clinics, law firms, places that work with sensitive data and want to be able to use more convenient products. So... Um, yeah, the uh, the validation of those assumptions has just been an iterative process. As you know, as I build or consider building new features, especially for the enterprise verticals, it's just a matter of reaching out to people, connecting, and and talking through um, you know their problems, making sure that something that I want to build would actually solve a problem, and not actually building things before I know um, that it's solving for for actual problems. If we can dig in on that for a second. Um... So I think everything that you just described is really, it's very familiar to anybody who's worked in product development or user experience where you try to get ahead of those assumptions uh, before you go build. So I'm curious, uh, what did that 
what does that typical conversation look like when you're digging into an assumption or a use case you think might exist? Um, how are you going about eliciting those pains and, and needs from people that you're speaking with? Yeah, that's a good question because what I wanted to do versus what generally happens in these conversations are not always aligned, right? So what I'd like to do is just uh, pick up the phone, talk to somebody and ask them, hey, what about your job is difficult? Um, you know, Just walk me through a day in your life without telling them any background about graphite that <clears throat> that's impossible right they people people want to know what the app is what you're doing and as soon as you give them that context then you've started framing their mindset and uh you know that gives you targeted answers but it doesn't necessarily give you um the answers that they don't know to give right so with that in mind you know as as i had these conversations i just tried to ask um you know questions outside of what I thought Graphite could solve for and just focus those questions on what uh, this person, whether it's a, a consultant at a school or an administrator at a school or a journalist or an editor um, or an NGO, right? Just ask them as many questions as I could think to ask about what they do, forgetting about what my product is and focusing on what uh, what they're doing, what they're solving for on a day-to-day -day basis. Because we've, we hear this a thousand times in, in the software world, in the product world, um, you know, people don't want to buy a product, they want to buy a solution, right? And it's it's a stupid, stupid thing that we hear over and over again, but it's also 100% true. Um, so that's what my focus was in, in talking to people on the phone. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's really cool to hear you talk about the way that you, you know, you, you actively try to get to the bottom of problems, because I think, you know, at least in the software world and, and you know, when you're trying to ship product, I think people often fall victim to confirmation bias, right? They, they have this idea of the thing they're going to build and they go talk to people and they're not asking the right questions or the right follow on questions to really get underneath some of these responses and, and figure out, does this actually solve a problem for, for the user? And I, Totally, Nick and I, and I can speak for Nick, I think on this, uh, we have both come across the exact problem that you just described about sort of the witnesses leading themselves because they want to give you the right answer. And so they request, they request these things or, or they frame their, their problems or their day based on what they think you need to hear from them. So totally hear you on that pain point. I am cognizant of the fact that you still have a day job, and so time is, uh, you know, very hard to come by for you. Uh, so, frankly, I, I don't actually understand how you have any time to to build and learn software. Uh, but <laughs> knowing that prioritization is really critical for you, um, which of the markets, so to speak, that you identified being journalists, schools, businesses. Uh, how would you rank those and how are you uh, considering those from a business perspective uh, and sort of how are you also looking to get revenue from them with Graphite? This is a good question because from both a time management perspective, you know, yeah, my, my time is very limited, um, but also from just a way that we should approach software development perspective. I want to build as many components in graphite that can be reusable for other verticals, right? So, um, you know, I might build something for journalism, but I want that, I want at least portions of that, whether it's exposed in the uh, user interface or not, to be usable for a business or for, you know, an NGO. And I'll, I'll give you an example of it or a working example um, of what I'm talking about. So, we were talking before about 
how I, as the app developer or the company, I have no insight into you know who you want to share a file with or or who's in your address book, and that's great. That's the way we want it to be. But in building out uh, these enterprise features, every single one of these enterprise verticals, they need a sort of administrative component, right? They need a way to label um, their account or give their account a name that that they can share across all of their users that they're going to invite to the account. They need a way to manage those users, um, to onboard them, to delete them from the account, to update their roles, and they need a way to set permissions. This is true across the board for um, any any enterprise vertical. So that's just a, that's just one example of how I'm approaching the building. As I build these components out, I build them as broadly as I can, and then if necessary, I'll refine things down to certain use cases. But I want that to happen as infrequently as possible. Again, from both a time perspective, but also from you know a just a development perspective. Reusing reusing components, reusing code is. Um, probably a better option than writing completely new things uh, for each vertical. Um, but as far as actually prioritizing and releasing features to these different verticals, um, you know, the, the priority list has changed as I've built and as time has gone by and as people have reached out to me, right? I told you after Berlin, I had a lot of inquiries from the, the just the business world from a, a wide range of different businesses. Turns out a lot of what I already have in Graphite is usable for, uh, you know, I'd say 60% of those inquiries. So to me, that, that meant I should be focusing my time on those verticals where I really don't have anything built. Um, so I started on both the education side and the journalism side, trying to build these components um, concurrently. And then the Oslo Freedom Forum, which is happening, um, you know, next week, that is really focused on activists, NGOs, um, and journalists. And to me, it made the most sense to get something put together that I could release in concert with uh, the the tenth anniversary of the Oslo Freedom Forum. So that kind of force prioritized the the components that I was building. But you know, once once that event's over, it'll go back to really trying to build everything um, and reuse as many parts as possible. If I can take a, a little bit of a turn in the conversation here, uh, something you you started to dig into a bit. So you're talking about features and use cases and how you um, uh, cater your product to different different applications and different markets. Um, you know, coming from a user experience background, that immediately sets off. You know, ideas in my head about how do you how do you figure that person out? How do you how do you know who you're building for? And I know that in, in our previous conversation, we talked a little bit about the challenges of of measuring your product against an anonymous user base. But I'm curious, uh, what's your approach to I guess doing uh, things like persona development and fleshing out some of those use cases when you have uh, potentially users that don't necessarily want to raise their hand, or it's going to be hard to get a, a clear picture of that person? Yeah, it's it's really difficult. Um, you know, I've had the phone calls with, you know, people that I thought are prospective enterprise users, but even beyond the enterprise side of things, we're talking about UX across the entire app and getting insight into people that are using the open source version of Graphite is equally important. At the same time, this is a decentralized, encrypted, private uh, software that I really don't know any of my users. So right now what I'm using is an open source uh, analytics tool 
does not track people once they've left the site and it gives me very basic data. So like if anybody has used Google Analytics, think of this as a very, very pared down version of Google Analytics. And it's, a, you know, it's open source. Anybody can inspect this code to make sure that the tracking code is not actually following users. That was important to me whenever I decided I was going to have some sort of analytics behind this. That is the very baseline for getting a feel for what people are using, what works for people. But to be honest, I'm still figuring it out, right? This uh, decentralized applications in general are totally new and figuring out how to get the right feedback from the right people is still a whole new ball game. Um, so luckily my app is open source and I get a lot of feedback through GitHub, but still looking for better solutions. Just to follow up on that a little bit. Well, actually, can you let us know what the name of that tool is that you use, the open source package? I think that may be valuable for anybody in this space. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, used to be called Quick P-W-I-K, I believe. And now it's... Oh, I'm Yeah, I'm yeah. so they tool, just yeah. changed their name to, I think, Matamo. Uh, cloud analytics, I believe is what it's called. Um, and it's, you know, self-hosted open source. It's a, it's a really great alternative when you don't want Google tracking you everywhere. Before we jump out of the UX discussion, I, I want to level down just a little bit further. And so, um, it sounds like it's a challenge to find or, or to start defining the people that you're building for understandably. I mean, it, it's hard enough in an environment where you have clear visibility into who that person might be, um, let alone trying to build something that's going to be used anonymously and maybe have a, a very wide user base. Um, what is your approach uh, if, uh, to prototyping your app and to rolling out new features? How do you show these things to people and get feedback that gives you, a, you know, more confidence that you're building the right thing? Yeah, all of the prototyping right now is done uh, really within the Blockstack community, and the reason for that is I have easy access to it, um, and it's a large community, so I'm able to build a new feature, and you know, before I ever release that you know, into the wild. I can show it to people. I have people test it out. Um, and I've, I've built a real connection with a lot of the people in the Blockstack community. And I get a lot of good feedback because there are a ton of very smart people working on apps or just working on the core development team for Blockstack. It's a great place to test these things. Um, and it's really a great place for quick feedback, right? Because, you know, it, as you mentioned earlier, I still have a day job. And as long as I have a day job, time is always going to be tight. And being able to find the time to do the proper user testing and, and all of the things that come with building a really great product, it becomes difficult. So I need to try to use whatever advantages I have. And that Blockstack community is by far the biggest advantage I have. Yeah, that absolutely. Sounds like a great uh, way to kind of hack the process. Um, uh, one question before we leave the UX uh, conversation. So you know, UX in general, when you're building software, has a core set of challenges that I think every product is going to face. Um, some very similar, some very different. From your experience, are there, uh, I guess, key challenges of building a product on blockchain um, from a user experience perspective? Like, you know, just big, big stumbling blocks that a user is going to hit as they go through experiencing your product. Yeah, there's uh, the, the biggest one that's going to apply to not just my app, not just, uh, you know, another app on Blockstack, but really every decentralized app is the onboarding process because a main component of that decentralization and that encryption is generating a private key. 
And the user doesn't need to know that a private key is being genera generated. <clears throat> they don't need to see that key necessarily. They do need, you know, whatever the login mechanism is, whether that's like a master passphrase or whatever it is, they need that. But to get to that point where a user gets that private key, it takes a few steps. And sometimes it takes, you know, in the case of block stack authentication, uh, it can, it's not always going to be the case, but it can require you burning some Bitcoin, you know, spending some Bitcoin to write an actual transaction to the, to the ledger. <clears throat> and that onboarding is a difficult process to solve for. Um, and honestly, it's, it's a process that becomes even more difficult for the app developer, right? Because Blockstack manages as part of their APIs and their software authentication. Um, and they also manage the screens that are involved with that authentication. So the thing that the Blockstack has been focusing on and getting a lot of great input from developers, myself and others in the community <clears throat> is how to fix that onboarding process. They've got a great solution that should be out in the next release of their browser. Um, but it's not going to be perfect. That's going to be the that, that will continue being the biggest stumbling block for mass adoption is solving for the onboarding process uh, for you know the everyday user that's never heard of a blockchain or never heard of encryption. Um, I think it's possible. I think it, I think we'll get there. But for now, that's definitely the the biggest hurdle. Yeah, I would I would completely agree. Um, as a user of various products that I've tried and also just watching other people go through the process. It's, you know, I imagine, you know, my mom trying to use a product on Blockstack and it's like, uh, you know, it feels light years away, but it does feel like once we can solve that, and we've seen this in other technologies, right? Uh, you know, uh, email adoption, smartphones, anything that's kind of made modern life easier and more convenient tends to go through this cycle. So as a designer, I feel like that's, you know, it's on the horizon, it will be solved, but I, I very much uh, empathize with everybody out there trying to solve that problem it's difficult yeah absolutely in some ways i think this is true of anybody block stack ethereum or any of these communities it sounds like you're putting you know a good amount of faith in the block stack team to solve a good portion of that problem because you know unless um, and actually maybe this becomes a question are there other forms of authentication that you're considering beyond block stack like is it possible to allow for other forms of, you know, decentralized identity solutions to sort of interoperate with Graphite? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely possible. What it takes is it takes combining those alternative decentralized identities with an alternative decentralized storage, right? Because storage as it is today, today in Graphite is very much linked to your, um, your identity. So you sign up for, for an account, your identity is written to the blockchain that includes a, a zone file, right? So think of a zone file as sort of like the thing that <clears throat> that's created when you sign up and create a website, right? So you go and create www.website.com. There's a file that's created with a bunch of metadata. Same thing happens when you're creating your identity and signing into Graphite or any other decentralized app on, on Blockstack. That file is also what allows for storage to work. You know, it's pointing to, you know, this user is using Dropbox and uh, Amazon S3 and Microsoft Azure. So they're replicating data in three different places. Let's make sure that, that everything's lining up. Now, to use a, decent, a different decentralized authentication method means that there also has to be another storage solution. 
I've already implemented a uh, sort of backup storage solution just to kind of prove out that it is possible to have alternatives within the same app without having somebody say, well, if you don't want to use Blockstack, you go use a different version of Graphite. Um, <clears throat> so right now, that alternative storage is remote storage. Remote storage has been around forever. Um, they're really, as far as I can tell, one of the first to allow developers to build serverless apps. So right now, if you go into uh, Graphite, you're still logging in with your Blockstack identity, but I could see a future where it's possible to log in with Civic or Sovereign or any number of other decentralized identifiers and uh, choose how storage works from there. Very cool. I did want to jump back quickly to the user feedback topic. So I know Blockstack has their community rewards uh, portion of their website up and running, and I saw and completed a graphite task. So I was curious, and just for context for listeners, that actually includes uh, there's like a stake of stacks, which is the currency, cryptocurrency that Blockstack will be launching at some point this year, most likely. Um, so I'm curious, is that, how did that materialize? Because that seems like a brilliant way to get user feedback uh, without potentially having to put money up yourself if that money's coming from Blockstack. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually been fantastic. And I should have mentioned that when you were talking about getting uh, user feedback, because the feedback I've gotten has been great. Um, you know, it's still not the volume where I can make concrete decisions, but it's starting to get there. If I see something come up in user feedback over and over again, 10, 15 times, I know it's probably an issue. Um, but right now, Blockstack is sort of, you know, in the beginning of the game. They're just now getting apps that people are using out there. So it's in their best interest uh, to help support that and get that feedback. So really, they just offered. To, to have a task for Graphite included on there. Um, and it's, it's really a... Zach, you and I have talked about the token economy um, a bit offline, and you kind of know my opinion on that. This, uh, just, just to give some background, I, I think the ICO madness is, is madness, I think. Um, I think it's uh, watering down what decentralization could actually be. But this... Uh, you know, community rewards program, this is the right use of tokens. Uh, you know, you're incentivizing people to do things that benefit them, benefit the app, help grow the community, um, and you're using a native token to do it. So that's, to me, that's the right way to approach it. And so far, it's been great for getting user feedback. So jumping into a slightly different topic now, I... I know you've you've been kind of riding solo for a while, but you, I believe, hired a contractor and um, you may have some more plans on the horizon. So can you talk us through the team composition as it is today, how it's evolved and where it's headed in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So I have now hired two contractors um, with the goal of shipping some pretty big features by the end of summer. So the first one that I think you were referring to is, is Graphite's first mobile app developer. Um, and the, the idea is that by hopefully the you know, beginning of August, end of August, somewhere around there, there will be both a native Android and iOS app available for Graphite. What those apps actually contain is still up in the air. Right? There's, there's certain features of Graphite that make a lot more sense on a native app and make a lot less sense 
So I'm working with this contractor to make sure that we build the right things into this first MVP version of the native apps. And then uh, the second contractor is helping me on the web app, the, the most requested feature, the feature that has been on my personal roadmap since I realized Graphite was used by more than just me, is, um, <clears throat> is real-time collaboration. And with everything else that I'm trying to build, it was going to be impossible for me to get that worked in as well. So this, uh, this second contractor, he is helping build out real-time collaboration, similar timeframe to the mobile app. So hopefully by the end of the summer, you know, there's going to be some huge steps forward for Graphite. The plan beyond that is um, you know, to align those big releases with the first real sales push um, for enterprise features of, of Graphite. And in doing so, that hopefully will lead into um, you know, funding of some sort that will allow me to build out the team further and really allow this to be a, you know, a true business, right? With, uh, with people dedicated to working on it full time. That's, that's great to hear you're on such a, a, a great path with things. Um, curious on the contractor front, that's, that's never an easy uh, process, right? To bring people onto your team. And especially if it's a contractor situation, curious to hear how you've approached that process and you know, how, what was your approach to vetting the people that were going to be working on your baby? Yeah, it's, uh, it was definitely uh, terrifying to be frank, uh, to, to try to bring somebody else on. Um, but so for the mobile developer, his name's Daniel Wang, and I got super lucky with this one. When, when I was leaving Berlin after the Blockstack Berlin event, um, he and I just ran into each other at the airport. Uh, we, were, we had flights that were about you know, 15, 20 minutes apart and sat in the same little tiny ter terminal in uh, Berlin and just got to talking. He's uh, going to university in Canada for computer science. He has a focus on mobile app development. He's already built apps. He's already interned. Right there on the spot, I knew that he'd be a great fit for Graphite. And so, you know, fast forward a few months, I reached out to him. He was available. He was eager and excited to work on Graphite. And it was more than, and this, this leads into the, the vetting process, it was more than just finding somebody with the talents to, you know, finish the contract. It was about finding somebody that actually cares about Graphite, actually cares about decentralization and encryption. And with Daniel, that, that was absolutely the case. Uh, the second contractor, I ended up posting on the, the Blockstack forum. I thought that would be the best place to find people with uh, experience in Blockstack. Turned out I was wrong. Uh, there was tons of people that reached out to me that had no idea what Blockstack was and had never built a decentralized app or, or touched a decentralized app. Um, but again, I got lucky in, uh, in the second contractor. His name is Ethan Ryan. He, uh, <clears throat> he reached out. We jumped on, on the phone. Turns out he also is not a developer by trade. Um, he's got a lot more experience in development than I do, a lot more time put in. But uh, he was an English major. He is a writer also. And we just got to talking and it was, it was a perfect fit for, for what yeah, I'm sure, doing Two peas in a pod. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I got lucky. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so as you start bringing uh, these two additional people into the fold, I, I mean, when you're sitting in your living room, you know, development is a matter of like a Kanban board on your wall, right? You're right. just moving things across as quickly as you can. What does it look like now to be working with other people? How does it change your process? Well, there's this thing called merge conflicts and that's a whole new ball game <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah. no, seriously, it's, it's difficult to, um, 
to manage the whole development pipeline with more than one person now, right? Because I do have to worry about merge conflicts. I have to worry about different feature branches, whereas before the feature branch was just my entire repository. Um, and I have to also balance access, right? So with these two, I very much trust them. It's possible if I hire other contractors in the future that I'm going to have to make the decision that they are not able to actually commit code without reviewing. That also takes time away from me developing. So right now it's a, it's, it's a nice balance where I'm able to just trust the work that uh, these two are doing. Um, communication is pretty much what you'd see in, in all product development, Slack, uh, Trello, GitHub, all of the things that are traditional in software development is what uh, we're using. It's working great. Um, you know, it feels like a team, even though this is just contract work, because everybody's in the same Slack account, it feels like a cohesive team. Whereas, you know, Ethan's working on the web app, might not care at all about the mobile app, but he's involved. He's seeing those posts in, and that then makes him excited. And hopefully down the line, this leads to full-time employment for them. But right now I'm just managing how I actually get the code from them out there into the world. What's your planning process with, I mean, a typical software company, you might use something like Agile, you have planning cadences and, and you plan that work out. How does that work with your team now? And what's your process for getting everybody prepped and on the same page? Yeah, it's, I, I may have mentioned that. So I work at a software company in my day job and we use Agile development, very similar for Graphite. I have a Trello board with an entire backlog of features that I want to see built. Um, and I've now prioritized those features. And now that I have developers that are assigned to two very specific tasks, those tasks are being assigned um, in week-long sprints uh, because I have a short amount of time for uh, the contract period for both of those developers. In the grand scheme of things, you know, two months is is really a short development period. So I'm doing week-long sprints and, and we're seeing what we can get done in that amount of time. In the end, uh, you know, the contracts both have very specific deliverables. So we have that as the roadmap. Um, but this will need to evolve once there's full-time employees. And that's why I wanted to have the you know traditional agile style roadmap and sprints as, as part of the process. Have you taken on any funding? I have uh, an angel investment that I took right about the end of April, beginning of April. Um, but yeah, I have not yet raised a true seed round yet. That's that's to come. It sounds like you're putting all the right steps in place. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you alluded to a sales push a couple minutes ago. Can you talk us through a broader launch if you're considering that launch of a paid product walk us through that a little bit if you can yeah i think uh not to reveal too much before the actual launch but next monday you're gonna see um the actual specifics of the first enterprise launch for graphite i already told you it was going to be the journalism component but this is going to include the full feature set the pricing all of that uh the launch plan is very similar to the launch plan that that i had with um you know, the open source free version of Graphite. It's, you know, hit Hacker News and hope for the best and also, you know, get get your thick skin on um, and then try to get on Product Hunt, get in front of as many people as possible. And the reason that this is happening on Monday is no coincidence, right? It's uh, the Oslo Freedom Forum. In March, I did the, the open source free launch to coincide with the Blockstack Berlin event, doing it in, in concert with these huge events. Um, 
it feels to me, and we'll see on this next one, like the right way to get traction quickly and, um, and, and allow that traction to be kind of long-term, long-lasting traction. That is super exciting. Well, congratulations on the upcoming launch, and we're really excited to check it out. Yeah, thank you. I am wondering how you're thinking about token economics, if that crosses your radar at all at this point. I know Blockstack is launching stacks at some point. I think they're shooting for the end of this year. How does that factor into your business plan, if it does at all? I, I used to say that this doesn't factor in at all, right? Because I don't want people to associate Graphite with uh, any particular blockchain or decentralized technology. What I want is I want people to just use it because it solves their problems. They don't need to know that it's using the Bitcoin blockchain. They don't need to know that it's decentralized. What they need to know is that they own their data, that they don't have to manage encryption or data replication. All of this is solved for them. They don't have to worry about GDPR compliance and all of this. Uh, at the surface, that's what I want. Um, at the same time, because it is decentralized, because it is based on blockchain technology, there are things that the token economy does enable that really aren't possible or not not out there today in a working uh, example. So the one example I can see using, and I wouldn't, I mean, there's never going to be a time where Graphite's launching an ICO and, and having its own token. But what what I can envision is on the Blockstack network using the Stacks token for a sort of, um, I don't know, a marketplace for journalism. Because right now you've got your newsrooms and then you've got your freelancers. And those freelancers are pitching to newsrooms and newsrooms are assigning stories to their staff journalists or accepting pitches from freelancers when really there's a whole market out there for people to fund journalism um, outside of a newsroom. So you and I, we could say, I'm seeing this thing you know, at, at the Walmart down the street that I feel like needs to be covered, but nobody's covering you could put that on a marketplace and freelancers could bid on the opportunity to, to cover that story. Newsrooms could bid on the opportunity to publish that story. I think that's a really good possible use for the token economy. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be more too, because like I said, you know, a couple of months ago, I was said, no way, there's not going to be any use for tokens within Graphite, but um, that is shifting. That is really interesting. And I, I'm assuming you've heard of Civil, the uh, consensus spoke. Yeah, I love I love Civil. I think what Civil's doing is fantastic. And I, I do think that Civil uh, is writing too much to the blockchain. I've already given my opinion <laughs> on that. Um, but at a base level, I, I love what they're doing. Yeah. Hey, let them validate the assumptions just a little bit ahead of you yeah. and you'll be yeah. ready to pick up whatever they leave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the perfect business strategy. So you talked a few minutes ago about uh, getting ready for a seed round. With that, you know, inevitably comes some metrics and some measures of success that any potential investor is going to want to take a look at and understand the trajectory of the business. How are you thinking about metrics at this stage? Are there, you know, do you have specific uh, KPIs or things that you're tracking to? Yeah. So I've already approached Blockstack about some of the ways that um, we could get better data around users. Now, there's two sides to this coin. Um, right now, it, as a user of any app on Blockstack, the apps you use are public. You know, 
everything on Bitcoin is the Bitcoin blockchain ledger, right? Is is very public. That's one of those those misconceptions. People tend to think, oh, they're using Bitcoin. It's private. That's not the case at all. It's designed to be public. Um, and in the same vein with Blockstack, you know, you you use Graphite. That's an app that you're using, and it's publicly listed as an app that you've used. So while some people may not like the privacy side of things, and there's surely going to be solutions that, that need to be figured out for that, right now, the fact is it's public knowledge, what apps you're using. Um, and because it's public knowledge, the ability to query um, you know, an API endpoint, for example, and say, you know, how many people, doesn't matter who the people are, but how many people have used Graphite? How many people have used um, Stealthy is another another good app on on Blockstack and start getting those metrics there because what that's going to give you is uh, people that have actually logged into your app. Whereas if you're using just traditional tracking software, you might get lumped in there. People that hit the landing page um, and never went beyond that, right? And you might have people that never even logged in listed in there. So this is the first step. Uh, towards tracking. What I think is going to be more interesting, though, um, and, and more powerful, and, and is actually a shift from the way that uh, tech is right now, is KPIs around the enterprise uses. And those I will have information on, right? Because they're going to be paying me with normal you know, purchase orders and US dollars and, I mean, cryptocurrency if they want to, but that's all trackable. Uh, and that's all something that I can speak to. Right now in tech, you see, uh, you know, every unicorn that launches or is trying to launch has to have user growth on their free plan be the first thing that they care about. I care about that, but but the fact is, I'm building Graphite to solve problems, and uh, in the end, if it's solving problems for the people that are paying to have those problems solved for them, that matters more to me. You know, I think that's a really interesting uh, dimension of Web three, right? Like because we're getting away from that freemium model uh, where that was the attraction engine and that's how you grew your user user base. And we're getting down to brass tacks when it comes to problem solving. And so the companies that are going to win, who build businesses on these blockchain ideas are going to be the ones that can show traction in the way that you say, that that you just mentioned, uh, I think more than, you know, just building up a, a giant user base. I also think that it's very interesting entering this, this new world where as an investor, you might have a layer of transparency that you never had before into some of these metrics, right? So <laughs> you're no longer just right. taking somebody's reports at face value or just, you know, trying to triangulate based on your own tool set or your own information feeds. Like this is verifiable data. It's out there, it's public, and you can start making more informed decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, uh, you know, people w- within Blockstack, your identity can be on any number of what they call namespaces, right? So right now when you sign up for a, for an account, you get... Um, justinhunter.id, for example. That's the ID namespace that Blockstack has created. But anybody can create a namespace. In fact, I've created a namespace for Graphite. Uh, The purpose for that is really going to be targeted towards enterprise users, but anybody can use that namespace um, and you can query transaction data on the actual Bitcoin blockchain ledger. You don't have to go through an API through Blockstack. You can go to blockchain.info or Block Explorer and find these transactions and actually see that, okay, yes, this person actually is, um, you know, justin.graphite or justinhunter.id. This is what you're talking about. It's 100% public and verifiable data. There's really something pretty revolutionary about that. It's, you know, when 
<laughs> when a company, you know, a blockchain company like this uh, goes in to pitch a VC and says, oh, yeah, we have this many users and this many transactions. I could just envision Fred Wilson sitting there behind his computer being like, okay, he pings the, you know, the block explorer, pulls up the metrics and calls bullshit. And yep. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that it weeds out all of those people that, you know, were able to lie or fudge numbers and it leaves the rest of us, right? So it actually works uh, works well for people. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I would love to understand a little bit more about some of the transactions that actually get committed to the blockchain. You mentioned the different apps that get used by an individual block stack ID. Is that every single time somebody logs in, what actually gets committed? So to the Bitcoin blockchain, you have your initial commit of your zone file, right? So that's going to have the information like your Gaia storage hub, which is what uh, what Blockstack uses for users to select their own storage providers. It's going to have your your uh, public key, not your private key. That's only accessible and created and revealed client side. But it'll have your public key. It'll have your um, ID information, right? Like your the name that you picked, and associated with that name is that public key. And then from there, the virtual layer, so not actually on the blockchain or on the Bitcoin blockchain, but on the virtual layer that Blockstack runs above that, that's where you're going to see um, the, you know, the list of apps, your profile, that information that starts to get a little bit too big to be storing and updating and writing to the Bitcoin blockchain and also unnecessary, right? Um, so you've got two different layers. But the way that that second layer is updated, you mentioned it, uh, you nailed it in your example. As soon as you log into an app, it's written to that, that second layer, right? So I log into Stealthy. Now it shows that, that Justin has logged into Graphite and has logged into Stealthy. And then as soon as I log into another app, it's stored there. What it doesn't track, though, is subsequent logins. It's just showing that this person has used this app. And it's not for a metric purpose at all. It's for the very explicit purpose of generating a private key that's specific to that app. So um, as an additional layer of security, just having your Blockstack ID, that doesn't give you, you know, one global private key that you use for everything. Each app uh, allows you to create a, a specific private key. Uh, so that's the real reason that that's there. But it also turns out that it allows for verifiable data by me or by VCs or by whoever. You're coming from a unique background, I think, in that you're not coming from so much of the developer background. You are approaching this with not a lot of by, you know, normal standards for people that are on a development career path, you know, code under your belt. So what advice would you give to somebody who's embarking on the same path, coming from maybe a less technical background um, or less code-driven background and, you know, has an idea and is passionate about building something using Blockstack or any other blockchain technology? Yeah, so I can give the advice that ultimately worked for me. And, and keep in mind, it, it took a lot of trial and error to arrive at this advice. Um, but that's just build something, right? So you might have an idea of, of something, you know, a whole application that you want to build. Don't build that if you don't have experience. Like, you know, there's plenty of things I wanted to build when I first set out and built that uh, portfolio app, right? But I couldn't. It would not have been possible and I would have quit. I would have gotten frustrated. So build what you can, even if it's you know just something small that's writing to you know the console, the developer console. If you have a working app, 
I guarantee you, you're going to feel a whole lot better about your progress versus, you know, the theory behind development and the knowledge that you necessarily have to build up is important. But to keep somebody motivated, in my opinion, and everybody learns differently, um, to keep somebody motivated, you have to see that tangible thing. And that's what worked for me. Once I finally had a tangible app that I could show to somebody else and not be embarrassed about, that was the thing that told me, okay, I can do this and I can do bigger things and you know, continue building out. And obviously that's how we arrived at Graphite. So my advice distilled down is just build something. That's great. Tell us something uh, personal about yourself that might surprise our listeners. Uh, so if we hadn't been talking about it this whole show, I would have told everybody that, hey, I'm not a developer and I built this thing, but uh, we already have covered that. So the uh, the surprising thing that I'll, I'll reveal about myself is that um, I spent, let's see, now I have to try to remember how many years, uh, four years living in the Philippines. And my sister is actually adopted from the Philippines because my, my father was in the Air Force. So that's something not a lot of people know, uh, lived in Manila in the Philippines. Justin, thank you so much. This was a fascinating conversation and we're really excited to see how Graphite develops. Yeah, thank you guys very much. I appreciate you both uh, having me on. This was a ton of fun. 